welcome to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is the show that gives you insights and resources in how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome, and let's get started. Hello, listeners. Recently, I had the opportunity to appear on Debbie Hanrich's radio show on KKNW out here in Seattle called Story You. I love Debbie's questions and curiosity, and I thought that you'd be interested in the content. So here it is. Enjoy the dialogue, and once again, thank you for listening. Today, I have a guest in the studio with me who I'm very, very excited about. I learned about Tony Rezac's work um, five, six, seven, eight years ago. I was at a retreat with his beautiful wife, and we were having a conversation about what I call, as many of you know, the heroine's journey, or in other words, the feminine side of Joseph Campbell's work, The Hero's Journey. I kind of made it up, you know, I invented it. I just thought, you know, if there's heroes, there's got to be heroines. So, so much of my work is about coaching, not just women, but men as well through the more feminine side of the journey. There's a masculine side that Tony knows so well and can speak about so well And there is the feminine side. Tony, as some of you may know, has Basecamp for Men. This is his podcast that is offered on American Daily. It uh, it has this great subtitle, Essential Tools for the Modern Man. And it's got just great visuals. And I feel like if, if I was a man, I'd probably be there every day. Because I'm a woman, I, you know, I'm there once a week just so I get, like, good interaction, communication, knowledge. And it, it, it helps me with my lingo, <laughs> if you want to know the truth. Um, but Tony is an author, a men's coach, a workshop leader. And his mission is to elevate and help men with their challenges, which we are going to learn more about in today's show. He is the author of Body and Soul, The Essential Handbook for Men. It is a great handbook that takes you basically through this idea of being a heroic man, but on very many different levels, some that I think just might surprise you. And he really blends in this idea of what is healthy masculinity And how does that relate to finding your purpose? So without further ado, welcome, Tony, to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. It's great to be here, Debbie. Thank you. And thank you for coming to the live studio. Yeah, this is great. I I do my podcast, but it's in my little home studio with a little foam box. So this is feeling very legit to me. Oh, yes, we're very legit. Yeah, (laughs) I love the legit. Yes, we have this great window that looks out here into uh, Bellevue, Washington, 
Uh, we are experiencing a couple of clouds in July, but I promise if anyone comes to town tomorrow, you're going to get a beautiful, beautiful sun, and you can catch the replay of this show. Don't forget iTunes, Podcast One, tune in, all of that. You can also uh, talk to Tony about his podcast, which is this great, great way of condensing downtime and supporting men. Men need support too, which you well know. So could you tell me just a little bit about the inspiration for getting your your podcast up and going? Sure, sure. So um, years ago, you know, I was a I was an athlete and was kind of a guy's guy when I was younger. Yeah. Um, but I had no kind of clues of what mature men did. There's this kind of dot, dot, dot around, you know, how do you know what, you know, where's personal development take men? Are we not supposed to talk about our feelings? This kind of man box that I've kind of unpacked on the show. Um, it, when I was younger, you know, there was just this kind of confusion about, well, what happens when I'm 30? What happens when I'm 40 and 50? Yeah. You know, how do I, who are going to be my mentors? And this was back in uh, the late 80s when uh, Robert Bly wrote Iron John and oh. Sam Keen wrote Fire in the Belly. And these were two kind of real big books in what was called the men's movement. And after that, the man, an organization called the Mankind Project started doing their new warrior trainings. And these were big, cathartic, in the woods with 80 men, kind of rites of passage, right? And I had met a friend when I was young, and he had given me an invitation to one of these, and it just scared the dickens out of me. I was like, no, that sounds too frightening to do. I was attracted, but I was like, I just had so much fear around doing something like that. Yeah. And... Fast forward to 10 years later, I was now 37 and living in New York City. And one of my good friends, Eric Hansen, was packing up in the studio that we shared and he was leaving. And I said, hey, where are you going? And he said, oh, I'm going to my men's group. And I go, men's group? What, what kind? And he goes, oh, with the Mankind Project. They do these the new warrior trainings and then we do these groups afterwards. And I go, they're still doing those? He goes, oh, it's the best thing for men. Mm. And so now I'm 10 years older. I'm in my late 30s. Suddenly, I'm game for it. Suddenly, I feel like I've got enough courage to go ahead and take that step. And doing the new warrior training, there, there's some people will sometimes have some before and after moments. Maybe it's you met your wife or yeah. you became a father or something happened that, that was transformational. Me doing the new warrior training was such an event. Like there was a before that, Tony, and then an after. Ah, okay. And I came away with such a heartfelt appreciation for men, their, their isolation. Um, and I built my mission, which is one of the things that you do on that training. I built a mission around assisting men in taking a more courageous life, getting out of their comfort zone, expressing themselves, and, uh, and then providing resources for men. So it has been a mission that has you know, really fulfilled me. It doesn't feel like there's an end. It just feels like this is what I'm going to do the rest of my time here. And, uh, and so then I wrote, of course, I wrote the book and then was offered the podcast with some great synchronicity. I was actually, because I was an author, I was the first guest of a pilot of Basecamp for Men and I wasn't hosting. Mm. And then America Daily said, okay, we're going to take the host, Mark, and you're going to narrate the new show, which 
vacated the microphone for the men's show. And I think when they listened to the episode, they said, hey, what about him? And, and then they called me and offered it to me, and it's just been a delight for me. And you're very good at it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate I, that. I really, I really meant it when I say I keep up my lingo. You know, I, I listen to it, and I'm like, this, this is how men talk and relate. And, you know, it helps me as a woman to, to feel like I've got sort of the insight on it because we men and women are not always the same. You That's know, right. we're not always the same. And it's, it's really great that you call this your healthy masculinity and— and that you've qualified the fact that it really makes sense that sometimes we need 10 years before we're ready. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's, it's funny that, I mean, each, each chapter, if you look at your life like a hero's journey, my take on it is that each chapter is going to require a slightly different version of yourself. So as we overcome challenges, as we overcome self-doubt, you become, you know, maybe, maybe larger isn't quite the right word, but all of a sudden the things that scared you and stopped you when you were younger, suddenly you're saying yes to, and, you know, you grow your leadership and, and all these things. And I think if you're true to your mission and the mission is, is, is deep and in the heart, the, the heart finds a way for the message to get through to people. The heart does. It yeah, does. that's well said. You know, John D. Martini says anytime we feel like we're doing really well and we're full of knowledge, uh, get yourself ready for your next failure. Mm-hmm. You know, that's beautiful. It, it's like that's how we fail forward. And by the way, that is a paraphrase, not a quote. I can't remember the exact words. But that idea that as soon as you're like, I've got this. Hang on, <laughs> because there's going to be more lesson in this idea of I've got this. Mm-hmm. But what I really want to stress to our listeners here is that you you aren't heroic for taking the journey. You're heroic for being alive. Mm. You know, you are heroic for not giving up on your life. You take the journey by what I like to think of as becoming more conscious. And and you uh, outlined your book so well with these 10 chapters of how you did this. And one thing that I think is so, so important is the notion of finding a men's group. Because women, women collaborate, collaborate, collaborate and congregate, or you can make it one word and do what I just did. But women just do that. Men, on the other hand, have sort of what you call in your book the lone cowboy syndrome at times. Mm -hmm. So what's behind that thinking of, I got to do it all on my own? Well, it's been talked about, especially recently in the last 10 years, called the man box, right? The toxic man box is what it's being referred to because it's not that men are toxic. It's we've been cultured to be tough, uh, to go it alone, don't express any tender emotions. And the tender emotions could be shame or sadness or, um, you know, even uh, love. You know, we're, we're supposed to be these singular figures that have it figured out. And if we don't, well, men don't reach out and get support. And part of my intention with the show is to show that men do gather in groups and we do have authentic conversations about the things that are near and dear to us, including the ways that we have failed, that we've, the lessons we've learned, um, uh, the things that are, are tough to talk about 
addiction, shame, uh, broken marriages, uh, all the things that come up inside of a men's group. And my intention with the show was to bring on guests and and highlight how those groups are. So we have a new segment called Inside the, the, Inside the Men's Circle. I think we're calling it the Warrior Dog Council. And so I'm going to have men from my different men's groups and workshops in there to have conversations so that the listener will listen in and go, oh, that's what they talk about. I could talk about that stuff too, or I have those concerns. So it's kind of, my hope is that it brings down the curtain a little bit on these men's groups that have been a little out of reach for maybe a man that's like, oh, I, I, I don't think I'd be too afraid to go in there is to make it very accessible as he hears the conversations of the podcast. He might go, hmm, I think mm-hmm. I, I'd like to do one of those, or I'd like to get into one of those, or I'd like to look for a group that would suit me. Um, yeah. And then also, I, I think what you said was so beautiful in that um, the show is really, I'm hoping women will start to gravitate because we're starting to have female guests on the show. And I'm hoping that it will be a way for them to go, you know, this is, is to better understand the men that are in their lives, their sons, their fathers, their, their partners, their colleagues, and that it'll be a way for them to kind of listen in and add their voices to the conversation around men and masculinity. Ooh, yeah, absolutely. So you can come on. Cool. I was, I was kind of waiting. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Was like, Ooh, absolutely. Do I get to go? Yes. Neat. I love that. We have so many titles for men. You know, uh, women, when we, when we get together, um, especially there was a time when I was on some dating sites and women would get together and say, okay, what are you looking for in a man? So we'd, we'd categorize men, you know. I want a blue-collar man, you know. I want someone who works with his hands all day long, tough guy. And then other ones would go, oh, I really like the metrosexual types that will go shopping with me. And then there were the others that would say, oh, you guys, you're so weird. I just want someone who will take me to a good Seahawks game and then leave me alone, you know. So there are all these types, so to speak, came out of conversations my guess, but I'm still an outsider, is my guess is in your groups, you guys start to learn how to be more balanced so that the, the, the dirty words we think of that go with men like vulnerability actually are welcomed in. Am I getting it right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we use authenticity yeah. because it's a little more masculine. I like that. So um, it is being more vulnerable, but if I say vulnerable is part of my promo or stuff, men will immediately go, no, that's not for me. But if you say (laughs) authenticity, because men are very interested in being comfortable in their own skin and they're attracted to other men that can speak the honest, you know, undertones of a situation, especially an emotional situation, Um, any struggle, any conflict with their children, you know, his children or his wife, whatever work situations. Any man that can speak authentically about it is being vulnerable, but we phrase it as authenticity because I think that's more inviting for men. I think they're interested in being real and being comfortable in their skin. Oh, yeah. If that's, that's attractive not, no matter what kind of man you are. Yeah, so, yeah. Just the idea, I love that, comfortable in our own skin, mm-hmm. you know? That on the hero's journey, it's so important to understand that we grow by shedding a layer of that skin. But we're never skinless. You know, we're always living in our skin. So men, women, all of us, we we really are challenged to live at our highest level and 
to learn what does it mean to get comfortable in my own skin. And and I think what I have found so interesting, and you speak about emotional intelligence in your book, is that this is not just for women. It's it's not just, you know, the old idea of women stay home at, at the house and men go to work and women get emotional intelligence and men have their brawn, you know. Mm-hmm. Emotional intelligence is for humankind. But what does it look like for the man to start to know it, embrace it, learn about it? What what came up in your own journey of emotional intelligence? Well, one of the things, I mean, you get to where you start to trust your heart a little more. You get to ah. trust your intuition and your and these little subtle clues that you get. You start to listen to those that little voice that's telling you what's what you get, you start to fine tune your intuition, which is extremely valuable. And I think the other thing is you really start to take care of yourself better. Men are notoriously bad at self-care because again, the messaging has said we're tough guys and we don't really need to take gentle care of ourselves. We don't have to eat really good live food, you know, a lot of vegetables. We don't need to do yoga and be flexible and, softer, you know, it's better for men just to, you know, be tough, have hard muscles, you know, that, that reflects our inner life. But I don't think that really captures it. I think we were given a pretty bad, you know, sale of goods when it comes to self-care. And I think part of what we're doing in the men's movement is reclaiming that self-care is really cool. You know, self-love is cool. It's not something that's just for women. In fact, women are absolutely depending on us to start to take better care of ourselves and take better care of our hearts and start to come from the heart more. That's going to make a huge difference to women, right? They want men that are comfortable, authentic, and coming from their hearts. That's 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 we hip right now. We love it. Yeah, that's hip right now. <laughs> so, it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, do it, do yeah. it. Yeah, it's so good. But, but also, you know, one of the great things for a woman is that when a man commits to taking care of his heart, he sort of gives the woman in his life the opportunity to be herself with her heart and not to have to engage in any mothering, which she doesn't want to do and he doesn't want it from her. Right, exactly, you know? exactly. She don't want to do it, but she's kind of like, you haven't eaten anything good for yourself in like a month. You know? <laughs> What's going on over there on your plate of food? <laughs> yeah, you see plenty of that, you know, the, the mothering partnership, you know, and so, yeah. it's Yeah, and and everyone wants a break from that. Mm-hmm. But it's it's that journey of understanding it is ourself we take care of first, you know? Yep. I mean, I love a great man that takes care of me. Bring it on. But, you know, I'd like to know he's taking care of himself first. Yeah, sure. You know, that's the good stuff. What kind of things does a man have to manage when we think about men and their energy? I mean, what does that, that look like? That's a great chapter from your book. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, I just— I, I included a bunch of stuff in that chapter around health. Um, I, I included uh, a big thing on yoga and movement. I think that still to this day, you can go to a yoga class and there's going to be like 17 women and like two guys. And I think yeah, that's a, we love it. I think it's a big shame because I, I think that it doesn't make men more feminine 
to be flexible. It makes them feel better. I think men have not been taught very well how to, what feels great. And I think as you get more flexible and more fluid in your body, I think you just naturally feel better. I think it's a human thing, not a man, woman thing. And so I included a lot of like resources for feeling better as a man, you know, Mm -hmm. eating better um, and just managing, managing your energy, managing your life force. Um, And for me, one of the things I had to do um, is I had to stop drinking. That's one of the ways that I um, managed my energy because I was, you know, I was somebody that liked to drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and my family also, we have a whole history of, of, you know, alcoholism. My grandparents were both alcoholics on my mom's side. And so, and it's something that I took to as a young man and, you know, just really liked it. I liked mm-hmm. being in parties. I liked being out at happy hours and all that stuff. And then there was a point, you know, six, it's been over six years now where I just, I was exhausted from it. I felt yeah. like the alcohol was, I was feeling how toxic it was for me. Mm-hmm. And even though there was a lot of fear around quitting, I knew that it was an essential part of my next chapter was to face that. Um, and so I did. I, I, I stopped drinking. It wasn't not to diminish people that really, really struggle quitting. It wasn't nearly as hard as I thought it was going to be once I made the choice to. And um, it has made a big difference in my my energy, my health, my mental capacity. You know, my wife says you're not as, you know, used to be kind of impatient at night and that's gone. You know, you're more, you got more space. You're more, you know, patient with me. You give me more space and stuff. So it's made a big difference. Um, and, you know, it's not, a, it's not advocating every man has to look at that. But I think there's a lot of men that probably use alcohol as a way to de-stress Instead of taking good care of themselves, they will have a few drinks and that's how they unwind and, and cope with stress. But there's a better way to cope with stress if you're willing to step out a little bit onto your hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did, were, it doesn't sound like you had one of those kind of crashing down on your knees needed to stop drinking. Well, it, I was, I was kind of hitting bottom. I think my, my wife and I, our relationship wasn't in a really great spot at the time. Um, so much so that I think I was sleeping down in the basement and Oops. her up in the bedroom kind of thing. And we were just having a, we were having normal marital, you know, yeah. chapter where it's like, oh, you know, is this, is this, uh, you know, what's happening here? How do we yeah. get this on better footing? And, you know, for me, it was the the clear sense of like, okay, maybe the drinking is, is part of what's holding this pattern in place. And it was. Mm-hmm. So, um, Yeah. I think a really hard p- part of that journey for so many of us is, um, you know a lot of my story, that that I'm very active in Al-Anon. Mm. So, so we say as a friend and family member of alcoholics that we have our own sobriety to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, we have our own ways to get sober. And And did you come to understand that there were that it was more than just stopping the the drink but that there was there were new habits to learn new ways to live yeah i mean i think i think when i stopped it signaled to my subconscious mind that everything was changing and so there was a you know first it was like oh i can't believe i'm doing this <laughs> right yeah. 
Right. And then where's all my buddies? Yeah. <laughs> and then and then it was uh, I have a lot more energy. Mm. Um, I'm excited. And then I started writing. I mean, the book came right out of my sobriety. I don't think I would have written the book had I still been drinking today. I don't think I was willing to take the risk to start putting down words. But once I stopped drinking, all of a sudden, the words started really coming in clear fashion. Did you hear that, my dear readers? You know, it's a myth that you need to drink to write. I'm really glad that Stephen King came out to let us know that. Smiled. Oh, you're great. I got his picture saying that. A minute late, but it's still that moment. I'm going to remember how he said that. That was really touching. Um, that that some of the best writing comes right out of our sober minds, if not the best, because we have the courage to continue with the journey. I mean, I've, I have drunkard writing, you know. It starts out fun, gets a little weird, so it won't be published. But what Tony is saying here is writing is a courageous journey. So something I think is just great in, in your, um, your wording here is you talk about the inner king. Mm. You finish up the book with the inner king. Can you tell us a little about who that is, how he arrives there, what that's about? Yeah, the, well, the, the king is one of the four archetypes of the mature masculine, the other three being magician, lover, and warrior. And the king is an archetype that men will start to express more as they get a little older. So it starts to, starts to express itself a little as a man gets in his 40s and in his 50s, certainly it's happening. Um, and by the time he's in his 60s, it's, you know, he's, if he's done his work, he has full access to that archetype. And it's not, people mistake, men even mistake that it's, it means I'm in control as the king. That's not, that's, that's a lower masculine sentiment that comes from the ego. The true archetypal king is a group energy that men share. And it comes from losing ego by putting the, the, the village before your own selfish needs. You've now done enough work that you have vision for the world and you're willing to make the sacrifices to your own egoic needs and you're willing to make alliances and you're willing to keep this heartfelt notion that we're entering our best days. It's, the world's not going to hell. Actually, the world, we've got this. Like humans, we've, we just need to access certain energies and we're we're going to be just fine. We're going to figure this out. You know, the king and the queen will figure this out, the archetypal king and queen. And so there's a tremendous amount of hope, sacrifice in the king, but also just this deep wisdom of, you know, I can make alliances. I can put my own needs aside because this is what the village needs. This is what the, the city needs or the country needs or the world needs from me and the men. So that's as best I can summarize it. Oh, you did a great job summarizing that. I, I can't thank you enough for coming in, Tony. This, this is just great stuff. This was a delight. It's always a delight to talk to you. I can't wait to have you on Basecamp for Men. I'll, oh, cool. I'll, I'll cook up some questions, but you'll be fantastic on there. So we'll, we'll schedule that too. Oh, thank you. And Tony's already promised me that the next time he comes, he's going to bring his, 
young son Lucas in to add to the conversation, which I think will be wonderful to Absolutely. hear a young man's perspective. Absolutely. Very yeah. youngest man. Yeah, yeah. He'd be excited about doing that. So. Is he? Will he be about 12 at yeah. Christmas time? Well, he's tw- yeah, he's 12 now, and his birthday's in January, so he'll still be 12 at Christmas. So. Okay. Yeah. Almost that, 13. Yeah. yeah, that's when that real journey gets a-going. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for joining us to talk about the hero's journey, really from a man's perspective, and to hear about Tony Rezac's own journey. I want to encourage you to look him up. Tony Rezac is R-E-Z-A-C. He's here in Seattle, and his brand is Basecamp for Men. Check out his podcast and check out his book, Body and Soul which you can get on Amazon. I think you can even get it at his website, basecapformen.com. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. Men, good luck in all your endeavors and good luck on your hero's journey. This is Tony Rezac, and you're listening to Basecamp for Men. <laughs>